and welcome to the 29th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Appointment with Fear by Tin Man Games. Neil, tell us who you are and what you do. Hello. I'm Neil. I'm the uh, creative guy, I guess. I called creative director, but director sounds a bit heavy um, for Tim Man Games. And we are a game indie game development company um, from Melbourne, Australia. Um, and we're probably best known for our range of digital game book apps, um, our own series, Game Book Adventures, and more recently, the uh, Fighting Fantasy game books, um, which we have the license for. Yeah, that was a real coup. And I do remember when that happened. I was there, kind of. Uh, when that, you made that transition, I saw That's that right. happen. That you were was... in the same room, I think, weren't you? Yes, somewhere yes. in the same room when it happened. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I do remember you revealing the news to me. And that was great. Because uh, Neil and I have been known each other for a while now. First met PAX mm. a few, fair few years ago. I think it was a PAX East. PAX Prime, actually, I think yeah. it was. PAX Prime 2011, I think. Wow. Yeah. So, and I'm recording this the day before I fly off to Pax Prime. I know. And I'm not going this year, so I'm sad. Yeah. Is there no one doing, you're not, you haven't got any pitch there at all? No, we applied for the um, Indie Mega booth, but um, unfortunately they were well oversubscribed this year. And and we've we've done the last two Indie Mega booths at Pax East, and so they wanted to sort of let other developers in, which is absolutely fair enough. And they were really lovely about it. We were lovely back. And hopefully they'll have us back again in the future. Warm hugs all round. Yeah, they're a great bunch. I love them. Yeah. So how did you make your start? Because you've been making flashy, lighty video games for for quite some time, haven't you? I have, yeah. I've been in the games industry since about 2000. um, And I was um, making racing games to start with for PS2 and Xbox. Um, And I did that for a few years, um, working for a company called Razorworks um, in Oxford in the UK. What, what games were they? Did you remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. Would you rather not? Oh, that's oh, cool. I remember. I remember. No, the first game I worked on was um, a game called Total Immersion Racing, which um, is actually a really good game. If you, if anybody can find it, like in, it'll probably be like for a pound. In the, <laughs> you know, if you've got a PS2, you yeah. get it for PC as well. Um, it's really good fun, actually. It's a good racing game. I built a lot of the racetracks for that. Um, okay. And then we also did Ford Racing 2 and Ford Racing 3, which were kind of, they're kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, bog standard racers um, that were sort of to be sold in places like Walmart for a kind of budget price. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I did that and then I went on and I went freelance for a number of years and I became quite a bit of, you know, I became quite good at building environments, especially racetracks, and I actually became quite good at designing racetracks. And so I ended up working for a whole host of companies for the next sort of six six years or so. Um, I'm mainly working for, I do a lot of work for EA. So I worked with a lot of um, studios that were working on uh, Need for Speed and, and things like that. So I worked on many of the Need for Speeds for various different platforms. I, I usually worked on the um, the kind of cut down version. So I did a, sort of, a lot of DS, PSP. Um, and then later on, the, the cut down version was PS2 and Wii because obviously the, the PS3 and, um, uh, you know, 
Xbox 360. 360 had sort of come online, yeah. So, so I, I kind of graduated up, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> to the lower end of the console market, um, and that's kind of where I made my money for a, a number of years. And I ran a little studio um, called Fraction Studios, which was basically me and a bunch of other contract artists that would just sort of jump in and work on these racing games. And we didn't just do racing games; we also worked on like I worked on The Sims for iPhone. I worked on. Um, like Tiger Woods, um, NASCAR. I did a load of the racetracks for NASCAR PSP and, you know, so a bunch of stuff. It's quite extraordinary. People generally don't realise that when you see people, oh, yeah, that studio worked on that. Like, actually, no, there's about five dozen studios that worked on that little game that you're playing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite funny. They've been a bit exaggerated. You know what I mean? It's quite fragmented, isn't it? It is, and especially with EA, what they used to do, um, I'm not sure whether they do this now, but with the sort of DSPSP level stuff, they used to kind of give that to other studios to take on um, that weren't actually part of EA. They were separate entities, independents. And so what I tended to do, because... You know, I was a bit canny, I guess, is I would find out which studios were working on. So if I just worked on like Need for Speed Most Wanted, I found out who was working on the next Need for Speed and it would generally be another studio. And so I'd get in contact with them and say, hey, I'm the guy that just did Most Wanted. How would you like me to work on Need for Speed? Uh, what was the next one? Pro Street, I think it was. And, uh, yeah, another yeah. Need for Speed game. No yes. offense to, <laughs> uh, to, your, to your work. Uh, because you know, it's quite interesting you talk about you worked on say you lesser platforms or less powerful platforms mm. although i i actually have a great deal of affection toward the psp and and the ds mm. um, for the, for those scenes i mean I, I i my guilty pleasure game is ridge racer which i know is not a racing game at all it's a puzzle ridge game racer. yeah it's kind of like a puzzle game really i think <laughs> it's not really it's not really a racing game at all um because there's no real physics it's ridiculous um but the fact that it's in my hand, I mean, I just got absorbed by the PSP versions of that game. And mm. you could really do, I mean, I remember Toka Racer as well on, on those. On, on, I worked on one of the Race Driver games, actually, the DS Race Driver games. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And it just really felt the machine had, well, the, the console, but the, the car you're driving had weight to it. It was extraordinary. And it was on this mm. little handheld console. Um, I know a lot of uh, Codemaster games suffered from the invisible pin syndrome. You must know what that is. Where you drive a pin right through the middle of the car and it's spinning on a pivot. Yes, yeah. 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 And a lot of racing games suffer from that, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like they're not actually on four wheels. They're kind no, of, they're know, it's, like, still... it's like you're on a merry-go-round. Like That's, you're on a horse yeah. with the post through the middle of its body. Through the middle of its body, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know that. Yeah, yeah it's, it happens. I think Total Emotion Racing suffered from that a little bit. That was one of its major flaws. But um, otherwise, a good game if you can find it. Don't find it. But it doesn't. It does lead to where you are now. But we're talking about that later, really. But um, because you are now making primarily games on mobile platforms, Mm. and uh, it got fed in from that. Although clearly they're not, you know, racing games. They're nothing like that, are they? No, I was desperate to get away from racing games yeah. after doing it for a number of years. Um, I mean, I think I think oh, it's probably about eight or nine years of racing games. You know, the last racing game I worked on was uh, Need for Speed: The Run um, for DS. Was it for DS? Do you know? I can't even remember. <laughs> I think it was for D- it was for DS. That's right. Um, right. And that was my. I was doing that as I was starting Tim Man Games. Um, I did. I still. I still did a little bit of contract work you know for a few studios yeah, you've got to um, feed yourself and your family so. yeah yeah but I, I vowed that that was going to be my last one um i was kind of done um i built some really nice tracks for that game i was really pr- quite proud of um but uh, yeah i was kind of 
I was well over the racing game genre by then. <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting because I was chatting to someone. I went to this retro gaming event recently. We were chatting to how you know I was playing. They had this outrun machine. It was a genuine outrun machine. Yeah, I'm going to say it now. That game does not age well. <laughs> no, really. It's okay, but <laughs> arcade racing has developed so much now. Mm, mm. You know, but anyway, you've done moved on to far more interesting things by actually making these. Um, choose your own adventure books and mm. uh, fighting fantasy as we the UK know them as and turn them into a, a perfect medium for them which is the tablet and the phone yes yeah that's yes. Um, kind of where we've we've ended up yeah, that's right <laughs> I mean I remember I, I definitely remember it was at PAX and my my colleague there who's rushed over to me you need to see this booth go go Dude, stop what you're doing and go see it <laughs> he directed me to you and that's right. And I'd, I'd spent two days um, t- talking to uh, Americans. Yeah. And then, then I heard this little British accent. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I need to talk to, I need to, talk to a Brit. Um, and then it was come me. And talk to me. Yeah. yeah and so and I think like... I seem to remember, actually, I actually have a memory of this, talking to you in a very over-the-top English way, like, hello, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> And you replying back, and it was so nice. It was like yeah. I almost wanted to make you a cup of tea right there. <laughs> but it's also me empathising, like, oh my god, you bought Final Fantasy, and we didn't. But it was a different. It was your yeah, yeah earlier the time. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, you're showing off how the dice were rolling across the screen. Yeah, because yeah. that's what happens, everyone. In these earlier games, uh, not the one we're talking about today. Oh, hint for the future. Um, this where this where when you have a certain event or a combat or some skill test. You have dice rolling across the screen, which you can actually manipulate a bit if you're careful. Or not, the case may be. It's always good fun. Um, so moving on then, so that's how you start and where you are now. What do you think is your biggest influence throughout your career? What's the thing that's – what you do now maybe? What's the thing that, that uh, hmm. keeps your interest that makes you go, yes, I could do that or this, this would be interesting? I don't. It's kind of hard to say, really, because um, I, I mean, I, I've got a bit of a, it's a. It's a bit of an odd path I've taken. I, I had. A, I got a degree in product design, um, you know, so I should be really designing vacuum cleaners right now. Um, but um, they would be rubbish vacuum cleaners, trust me, because I was a rubbish product designer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, what what one of the things as part of my degree course, I was we were doing a lot of three D CAD. Um, sort of using sort of really big early you know 3d modeling systems um and i was really good at 3d i just suddenly had a knack of of visualizing things in three-dimensional space and building stuff and um that's that's kind of what propelled my career through really um and i've always been an artist i like did fine art at a level and stuff and um and i think the the the, the problem with computers i mean I, i you know i had a zx spectrum and then i sort of went and got an amiga and it was only until I got to the Amiga, really, with deluxe paint and stuff, that I could actually start doing creative, arty things using a computer. And that's what kind of woke up this kind of latent thing inside me, you know. And then onto 3D later on. So I think this it has been the the the, the art side has, has driven me all the way through, mainly 3D. Um, and then I, you know, I think oh, it's just it's one of those things where I desperately desperately wanted to create my own games i think every game developer has a bit of that inside them and um i was kind of i kind of was a bit over doing 3d stuff and um and i wanted to get as far away as possible from that 
Um, and you can't get, you know, you can you can't get as far away as actually words on a page. No, <laughs> so, no, you cannot. No, you cannot. So, so it was kind of like um, very cathartic, actually, sort of doing this kind of stuff because, you know, one of my big loves as a child was computer games. So I had my ZX Spectrum when I was ten years old, and I was playing Attic Attack and Commando and Elite and all these other wonderful Spectrum games of the era. Um, but at the same time, you know, I couldn't take my Spectrum on holiday with me. Um, because back then... Not we easily. Have, no. they, they weren't really portable, <laughs> like a DS. Well, they were, or... <laughs> but you couldn't actually put them in the car. No, you'd have but, to... Well, you could, but it was a great deal of effort. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just nerdgasm here. No, well, maybe you could, use the, you could use the... Take the transform and plug it into the... You know the the the, the smoking like lighter socket and see so some you know, knowing you Chris I could actually imagine you sorting that out actually. <laughs> you know because you know I know you've taken the spectrums across to packs and things haven't you? I did I gave one to packs I gave a spectrum because they had nezzies everywhere I went no no you haven't got it right no these Sorry. are you, know, you need a spectrum if you, you want have to some manic minor in your life here you go yeah you need to, no, they, they actually they love Datic Attack. Do you oh, know? Attic Attack's amazing. That's the first game, one of the first games I ever saw. Attic Attack. Anyway, um, so, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I couldn't. So you know, video gaming in its infancy was great, but I, you know, I there was no portable gaming, and so my guilty pleasure as a ten-year-old was fighting fancy books. So I used to take these books on holiday, um, you know, with some dice and a pencil, and um, you yeah. know. Play, play this stuff and so and that I remember was also... I did the same and my parents were like what are you doing <laughs> yeah they were complete they didn't know what those books were all they knew that I was reading and that's, they were happy yeah, yeah. but then well, they saw me with the pencil scribbling in it and then rolling dice and like what what what, what are you doing <laughs> nothing and they're just like they couldn't you couldn't explain it to them could you you couldn't yeah. no no that's no. no, quite and then and then that kind of progressed when you know Four years later, that progressed to um, Dungeons and Dragons, and like taking over my mum's lovely dining room table every Thursday evening after school. You know, rolling dice on her lovely table and scratching it. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, again, the same thing with the pe- what are they doing? Don't don't try. That's right. I, although one of my friends had a had parents that actually did understand it. That was scary. Oh wow! Yeah, that you know, one of them actually joined in once. His father. That was. I bet that I bet that, that kid had a BBC micro. How did you not? <laughs> Just because I have a theory on this, parents that parents that kind of got stuff like, and usually the, their parents were school teachers, or one of them was a school teacher, or the dad might have been an engineer or something, or even the mum might have been dad, an dad. Oh God, his dad was well, a graphic design. Well, not graphic designer. He would design product shells. You know the shell. You know you would yep. like product design, but he would design. Yeah. Not the actual inner workings, but the shells to them. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he would do. So yeah, yeah. very, very bright man. Yeah, you see, Mr. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet they had a BBC micro. They did, yeah. Yeah, I, of course they did. <laughs> Isn't it funny? I'm kind of, I can kind of second guess, you know, social structure in the 80s. It is. Based on... <laughs> based on just this weird exchange. Like, when, I see, when I hear people now, our, our peers, and they go, so what did you have in your kid? It's normally a Commodore. Sometimes you get Commodore kids. Sometimes, yeah. quite yeah. rare. They're normally Spectrum, but some of them go BBC. Like, oh really? Yeah, yeah. And there's a pause. You go, you're one of those, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> what? 
what? You know. Yes, my parents bought it for my homework. That's usually the next answer. Like, and then they go, yeah, because it would actually work. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. It would actually do your bloody homework. I know, I know. <laughs> It wasn't well, they, a lie. That's they, what made me mad about the BBC. It wasn't a lie. It really was <laughs> homework. Secretly, they were all playing elite, though, because yeah, you know, even means... I must bow down to the fact that you know that was the superior computer to play elite on. It was the computer to play elite. Yeah, but... yeah. I mean, I had it on my Spectrum, and I, so I, I, I but it wasn't the same. It wasn't even made by you know um, Ian Bell and David Braben. It was made mm. by another group. But so going back to the original question, then really, it's. Your art, driven by digital art and 3D, that's mm. drives you. That's what inspires you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so uh, that's kind of what's formed my game, video game career. And then, you know, when I've, when, uh, since I've gone out on my own, I've had to sort of delve back into my past and find the things that I used to love. Um, and it's kind of weird, really, that I, I kind of picked up on the, the Fighting Fantasy books because it, it's kind of, you know, they they essentially died off in the kind of early nineties um, because video gaming became such a big thing. You know, RPGs just became amazing, and Baldur's Gate, yeah, exactly, Landscape Torment, and the rest, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, even stuff like you know, I'm thinking about to the Amiga, like Eye of the Beholder, and um, uh, you know, I've Dungeon got all Master. three of those. Oh, they're yeah. great. Eye of the Beholder Two is especially amazing. I, I also loved uh, Dungeon Master. Yeah, yeah, first great. one. Yeah, second yeah. one less said about, but the first one. I don't one. think I played the second one actually. Yeah, you did either. No, you didn't miss anything. Um, right. Yeah, it's the first one. And the most was terrifying because it had the dragon in it, and it was like, oh god, <laughs> it's going to eat me alive. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so who do you most admire out there in the industry? Is there anyone particular group person? It's a hard one to answer this because you don't want to. You don't want to single anyone out and annoy yeah. someone else. Well, you know, I, there's a lot of people I admire. Um, I guess it's really difficult. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not very good at remembering names. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess, you know, it's those, those early um, bedroom coders, you know, that, um, you know, were, were creating stuff for the spectrum and all that, you know. Um, I can't remember the guy that created Manic Miner, whatever his name was. Um, Matt Smith. Matt Smith, that's it. You know, people like that, because, you know, they, what that just set up, you know, if, it's like set up this whole generation of people that is it in did. the entertainment industry. All, a lot of British, um, you know, developers that are in their late 30s, early 40s now, you know, that that's their structure. That's their bedrock, that stuff. And That, that was their peer group. I mean, yeah. there's just yeah. the, there were the kids who would, who actually could, you know, do programming and understand hexadecimal, which is like still beyond me. Like uh, proper stuff, yeah. It was just they had and they, were to. Do, and they were doing it when they were like fourteen as well. Yeah. It wasn't like they, they yeah. hadn't gone to university. They were just doing it in computer club after school. And, That's and right. Everything. They went. They went beyond ten. Print Chris is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Ten go to. You know, the yeah. whatever. Which you go to Dixon's, right? And you yeah, go, and you do Dixon's that. Dixon's is rubbish, and then yeah, you and, run. And then, yeah, and then have the maybe have border flashing if you really if you have the <laughs> yeah. time before the assistant brushes you off, <laughs> just to get it, you know, and just have it flashing and just flashing your name out. But that's as far as I went. You know, <laughs> uh, I never went on to because I always knew what it. You know, I wanted to do, but it was just so impenetrable. 
You know, yeah. the, the basic was easy to understand. It's just, you know, it was basic. But mm. when it comes to what they back in the day, machine code or assembly, as they now know, they call it, it's just beyond. Like, sorry, it's not even. It's just bon- Well, it is bonkers. <laughs> I mean, I read um, Jeff Minter's, um, he'd, he'd written a little biography. In fact, it was partly written by his dad, I think, that had passed away a few years ago. Um, and I had it as a little ebook. I, I think it was unfinished, actually. Um, and that was it's just incredible, like the stories of him making his games. You know, I think he, he was on the was it the Vic Twenty. Was he was it? on a Vic Twenty. He did yeah. Grid Runner on a Vic Twenty. That's right. An amazing That's right. game, and uh, he just somehow he was yeah he looks like a wizard. He probably is. <laughs> Although sadly, he seemed to be making the same game over and over again. Sorry, Jeff, but you kind of are. Um, but doesn't I don't know? Space Giraffe was. You know, um, it was Tempest again. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't play that. I've been playing some of his iOS stuff over the last few years, like um, Minotaur Rescue. I, 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 I yeah, that I do love. Oh, that just, is fun. It's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Dragging him around the screen and quick, gotta save the Minotaurs. Why? Because <laughs> they're Minotaurs. And then, but there's the latest one on latest game is on. I think it's TXK. I think it's called okay. on, on Vita, and it's it, Tempest again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, 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 Jeff. <laughs> but it is, you know, we forgive him because he's Jeff. But yeah, um, those. So it's basically them. It's those, those from yeah, those I, days. I, well, I love all that stuff. Like you know, I was reading an interview the other day with um, somebody um, who was online. An interview with somebody that used to work at Ultimate Play the Game. You know, and just hearing the stories about you know Saber Wolf and all these kind of games and and just the things. You know the, the processes that they went through to to get these things made and and whatnot. I just you know it's just brilliant. Especially, I always like a British fairy tale story. Like it is, you know, and it is the the games industry in 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 the UK has just got such a. It's just it's just brilliant. You know, there's some wonderful little stories and some horror stories too. But oh yeah, but but generally it's all you know it's it's really good and it's, it is extraordinary and also. Thankfully, recently now, there's been revisionist history where, you know, a lot of video game history books completely ignored anything outside North America or whatever they were particularly written. Mm. Uh, and uh, thankfully, that's now been completely redressed. And like, going, yeah, sorry, we we messed up. And we now know there was this, you know, just when the video game was, video games were imploding in the United States. And they actually say, oh, yeah, no games were being made. It was all over, like, in mm. your country. Mm. In the UK, 1983, was the very explosion of ideas and creativity mm. in, in 1983. Whereas for you, yes, your Atari 2600 had gone, had died, but the video games hadn't died. They were flourishing elsewhere in the world. Yeah, that's thankfully now, I've noticed a lot of them say they don't call it the video game crash, they call it the American video, video game crash. Yeah, yeah. That's they've actually, good. It's great because they're, they're becoming, the world's coming smaller and smaller. They can't ignore that. And they now know it's like, oh, yeah, well, that happened to us. I, I, they say that. They say it didn't happen to you. You were doing amazing things, but it happened to us. Yeah, we were going down to Boots and W.H. Smiths. Like buying know. games for £1.99. Thinking, I know. Is this any good? It's amazing. <laughs> Like yes, getting your Sinclair user and like you know flicking through and yeah. I remember oh. typing in games too. And, yeah, and, and then I'm, modding them. Very first version <laughs> of modding games, or maybe fixing them. Do you know? Sure. Do you know? My mum used to type in games with me. Did she? Um, yeah, she'd be cooking dinner and she'd come and do a page. Like we'd have Crash Magazine, and she'd come into the 
the uh, the dining room where I had my spectrum set up, and she'd yeah she'd type in a page, and then she'd go back the rest of the tea, and yeah, bless her, yeah she she was really that was really cool. She was no, better no, at it than I was. Yeah, my my parents no no, it's just like that's the devil's work. <laughs> yeah. That's why I had a spectrum. Uh, but eventually on to Amstrad, but that's not the show's not about me. It's not it's about our game as well. But the final thing, bring us to <laughs> to a final like to the, bring us up to date. Thirty years on. Mm. Um, what are you playing right now? Because, uh, you know, I just want to... I love asking developers this because... Mm, yeah, well, uh, so... It can be anything, by the way. It can be tabletop as well. I don't mind. Yeah, no, I'm... So I'm playing... Because I'm, I'm always a bit late to the party these days because, uh, you know, kids and work and everything. So I've actually recently just started playing GTA Five on okay. Xbox 360. Um, <laughs> just well, it's coming out on one now, isn't it? And... Um, Oh, is it really as well? Yeah, okay, it's coming out in new ones now. So, so yeah, I've, I basically I bought it as a present a long time ago, and it sat in its cellophane for a long time. And then um, I just thought, um, no way, I'm going to start playing it, and I've been really enjoying it. It's a corker of a game. It is. It's, uh, it's anarchic and wonderful. And I haven't finished it yet. Uh, it's one of my. I mean, I got fair way through, and then got distracted not by something shining, but but some by the multiplayer. I started playing. Okay. Well, I don't have I don't have Xbox Live stuff, so um, no. yeah. So I, I'm, I, luckily, I've, I, I think I'm probably I think uh, on my last save game it said something like sixty percent complete. I think, but I don't know whether that includes all the little secret bits as well. But, so much stuff to go on. It's lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely. But game. it's it's um so well written. I mean, because I look at things a lot from narrative and um, script these days, obviously because of what I do. And I have to say that the you know the writing in that game is just like it's always been strong though. It's just amazing. Like even the first one. I know. Don't yell at me. Even the first one. If you play it, there's some weird stuff happens in that game. But yeah, it's what you mean the top down one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's been (laughs) a long time since I played that one. You have these telephone conversations, and it's like because clearly it was just it was satire. The whole thing Mm. was satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, from GTA three onwards, yeah, it's. The writing has always been exceptional, um, and uh, the radio stations, of course, is the fictional radio stations. Yeah, it's uh, funny because they're so close to the truth. Um, yeah, uh, it's quite scary, actually, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's <laughs> like, are you trolling? Yes, yeah. yes, they are. <laughs> I should get back onto that game, but I get distracted by things, namely the, the game that we're about to talk about. See, segue. Woo-hoo. Come on, I like it. Fantastic one, wasn't it? Although I just again identified it means it's not a segue anymore. Um, so now moving on, unless you've got any more games to talk about, this is GTA 5. Uh, um, what else have I, have I been playing? Anything? Um, uh, yeah, oh, I'll tell you what, I have been playing a lot of. Um, okay. And this is uh, as a parent, my four year old daughter. Yes. Um, we got out Pikmin for the GameCube and um, we played it start to finish. And she, oh my gosh, I talk about awakening her imagination. I, you know, she just started drawing Pikmin everywhere. Like with Pikmin on the walls. Did she you know, think? Did she think Pikmin are out in the garden and stuff? Like that? Well, she. It's funny. She, she no. She she does think that she does have like little imaginary Pikmin friends. Um, but she actually um, talks about stories of them as a as in a game design way. So she's talking about problems that she's trying to overcome and using the Pikmin to overcome them. So I think I've got a little game designer on my hands. Um, Father's daughter, then. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. 
And then when when we'd finished Pikmin, she was really upset. So I kind of looked through my well, old collection. Two and three. Well, there is, but I didn't want to. We'd, we'd been playing it a little while because she. What happens is when my younger son goes down for a sleep in the afternoon, um, uh, if I'm working from home, um, we'll, we'll then play it over that hour. You see, so it took a few weeks, and we'd kind of we were all Pikmin out. So I oh. thought, what else can I play? And I found Chibi Robo. If you've ever oh, played that, yes, yes. So she's crazy about chibi robo right now and she really really loves it um yeah so yeah it's hard to find it's hard to say this but it's hard to find games for young young children uh, mm. good ones that you know the parent can get involved with and all you know because you can't just leave them on their own really not like my parent but i know, I know any of this stuff but mm. uh, it's best to just you know the best way to bond with your child is to play with them isn't it yeah yeah i mean she she doesn't do the controlling much but she lets me mainly control the characters and stuff but she will discuss the problems that we're facing and how best to overcome them and like with chibi robo like she will like if we've if if we're a bit stuck she will think on that for the next 48 hours until we play again you know and she'll come back and say dad you, you know the that bit that that we maybe we should do this and you know she's obviously been working that stuff through and um that's going to help her in the future yeah for sure and it's lovely it's it's a really it's a lovely yeah. age as well i have a nephew's five so it's they've become uh very um different yes yeah. you're in a you're in a corner there they become it's another like a milestone Another one is when they're 10, but you've got a little way for that. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10 is a unique and special time too. but uh, And then it goes into Black Death. You just, at the age of 13, <laughs> just give them a pot of black paint and just go, give them, give them a paintbrush and go, just off you go. Bye-bye. <laughs> like, bye. See you in 10 years and you See, can apologise. Here's my to car you. keys as well because you're going to yeah. take them anyway. <laughs> oh, well, by the way, I will say this now. Um, you treat this place like a hotel. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's right. We're, yeah, we're that's good. good. We, we get us out the way. Get us out the way. And just, you know, and by all means be rude because that's okay. You know, you're just a walking set of hormones right now. <laughs> so uh, am I sharing too much? I think I am. So let us move on to the second half of this glorious show, which is talking about appointment with fear. about this game what is it what does it do so appointment with fear is i believe it was about the 17th fighting fantasy book and it was written by steve jackson it came out in the mid 80s and it was the first book in the fighting fantasy series that dealt with the subject matter of superheroes so up until that point there was a lot of sword and sorcery um titles um and a few sci-fis and um i steve 
Um, horror as well, I think. Oh, oh yeah, a few horror as well, like House of Hell and such. Yeah. Um, and Steve was always quite experimental on his books, more so than Ian, I'd say, in, in the genre that he picked. Um, and uh, Steve, uh, Ian always sort of more like the fantasy side of things. But um, Steve, so he chose to do a, a superhero game book. And um, the point with fear is what came out. And um, when we signed the license, um, we were asked which game books we'd like to do. And a point with fear was always one of my favorites, just because I was into comics as well when I was a kid. And so it was, it, you know, it always struck a chord with me. And I thought it would be awesome to do that as a game book, as a digital game book, rather. And so, yeah, so, and it's been kind of on our list of game books to do for a couple of years now. And we've never really got round to it because I've never really felt ready to do it because I knew it would need something a bit different than our other titles. Um, but our tech and our the way we were doing things just wasn't at that level. Um, so essentially what we've done with a point with fear is we've created a, an interactive choosable path, um, comic book kind of thing. So it's, it's not a comic book, so it's not like you're reading a comic you've bought off. You're not picking panels at all. No. Clear. Yeah. You are picking, sorry to interject, but I think you're, because I played it a lot recently, I was playing the train (laughs) this morning and I was bashing away and it was basically dialogue choices. No, not dialogue choices. Dialogue boxes. Yeah. So, no. so we've basically instead of so, I mean, to give it context, our other fighting fantasy books are very traditional. So they we've made them look like, you know, they would be in paperback. Made them, you know, made the art a little bit nicer and, and you know, made it look like you're reading an old book, etc. But essentially, it's words on a page with a turn to page fifty eight or something at the end of the section. Whereas um, with a point with fear. We've actually got comic book panels that slide in and out, um, and the game's been the the actual book's been rewritten because comic books the narrative's driven a lot by the dialogue between the characters, um, mm-hmm. and obviously in the mid eighties paperback version it's written like a story, so you don't it doesn't actually read like a comic at all. No, no, it just happens to have spandex wearing superheroes instead of instead you know instead of um, fighters with swords fighting dragons or wizards. Uh, Pointy hats. That's or both. Right. Whatever um, you fancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have I lost a train of thought? Because uh, I have, no, I have one. I don't. I have many trains of thought. <laughs> okay, so we talk about dialogue and stories, and you couldn't do that. Oh yeah. So um, characters and stuff. Yeah. So so yeah. So basically, we rewrote it and just um, and, and realized very quickly that we needed to visually make it feel not like you were reading a comic but have an aesthetic there that made you feel like you were in that kind of setting it was it's something that you know need to be comfortable for a comic book reader to read but also comfortable for a game book reader to read so so we have um uh, actually have like avatars for each other anybody that you meet in the story whether it be a supervillain or it could be just an NPC or whoever, um, you know, when they talk to you, speech bubbles appear. Um, and when there are, is narrative description, they slide in like little um, comic book panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have little bits of lovely artwork for the where they are, that particular point in the city or, you know, whatever they're doing sort of come in as well, just to give a flavor of what's going on. Um, and that's kind of... Um, that's kind of where we've gone with it. So it's um, very, very different to anything we've done before. Um, and I think 
it was right to sit on a point with fear until we were ready to be able to do this because I think it's all the better for it. I think it would have, if we'd have just produced it in the same way we did with, with our kind of sword and sorcery books, it would never have, it would never have felt as good. I don't think wouldn't have done it as much justice. So. No. And sometimes the, the, the subject drives the design rather than the other way around. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, for sure. So it's, there can be a balance between the two, but in this case, it sounds like we've got this theme topic. We can't just squeeze it into this engine we're using for uh, X amount of years or successfully on other titles because it doesn't work. It doesn't exactly. flow. Exactly. We, need, we need to recreate this interactive comic book sort of feel, and that's not going to work with the old system. Mm. And it kind of yeah. it, it coincided as well with... Um, We've been making, uh, in the last 12 months, giant strides to kind of be a bit more experimental with what we do and try out some new things, um, mm. uh, which we got some funding from Screen Australia. Um, yes, I was going to ask you about year. that, because I noticed that when the game starts, it talks about funding from the Australian government and uh, other bodies. Yes. So, um, that's, that's helped a lot. Is it, it kind of, is it kind of like a tax break or not? Was it different? Uh, well, we get tax breaks as well, being an Australian company. That was a, that's that's another little bonus, which is you know for an indie development company, it's fantastic. Yeah. So we get like bits of R and D. So essentially, our R and D has been creating this new game book engine. So um, we've been able to to use it for that, um, which has been really useful. You know, any little bit of money that comes back to us, you know, is fantastic because that's. You know, if you if you suddenly get a few thousand dollars back, you know, from a tax, you know, break, you know, that pays for some new artwork, which you know, it's not only we're not only getting um, new artwork for our titles to make them look better, but there's an artist being employed; they're getting paid to do some work that they otherwise wouldn't have normally had. So, yeah. so yeah. these kind of little incentives, you know, given by um, you know the government at the time, you know, is really fantastic. Um, and screen the screen Australia's funding on top of that was, um, you know, that was basically I think the Australian government uh, gave uh, twenty million dollars to the Australian games industry, and then Screen Australia was the body that would, would put in charge of deciding where that money went. Right. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, a new government was brought in. Uh, Tony Abbott's government was brought in, uh, uh, you know, last year, and. Um, that funding was cut, so ten million had been given out, and um, unfortunately, ten million has been taken away again. Um, but uh, that's that's another story, another sad yeah. tale. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's, it happens. Um, change of government, a lot of turmoil politically yeah. in Australia for a while, a couple of years ago, maybe yeah. eighteen months. Yeah, uh, for for interesting reasons. But uh, let's uh, politics aside, I would like to ask you. I've been playing uh, Point of Fear, and I've played all the other games as well. And um, it's, this game is a significant departure. We've already said that from previous games. Mm. But one of the key aspects of it, I find, is that the dice rolling seems to have been taken away and hidden. Mm. Why did you do that? Okay. Um, yeah, it's quite a contentious issue, um, especially amongst fight, you know the hardcore fighting fantasy fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This comes down to something that's really quite simple um, in that um, all our game books are quite niche. You know, we have a, a very core, ardent following of 
fans which love everything we do and it's fantastic um uh which is you know it's great however we just felt we needed to kind of try and break out of that a little bit um uh and just expand our audience and we thought a point with fear would be a good one to do because it's comic book you know it's not it's not the sword and sorcery trope of of what most role-playing games and game books are um and there's a you know obviously superheroes are a big business at the moment yeah yeah so and i guess what we're trying to do by taking the dice away so if you see a screenshot let's say you're surfing on the internet and oh tim man you know there's this company called tim man games have made this game called a point with fear and you bring up a screenshot if that screenshot has dice set on the screen immediately you get a preconception of what that game is it's 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 that kind of role playing it fits in a certain genre you know it's okay. it's there's a character sheet and some dice sat on there it's a role playing game booky kind of game no matter what theme it is it's still waged it's still yeah. rpg yeah yeah okay. so which is great for people that love that stuff i love that stuff everybody that works at tim and games loves that stuff mm. but for your for somebody who probably is on the edge of that that isn't so interested in that but they probably quite like interactive fiction because um, there's a lot of people that like interactive fiction but don't like role-playing games um then you know it it might be like oh it's just you know, it's one of those kind of games, and so they wouldn't be interested in it. Well, so, they also think it's this vast epic thing that lasts forty hours. Exactly, exactly, no. exactly. So. so, by removing the dice, we made a very conscious decision early on um, to kind of try and break out just just for this title at least, um, just to break out of that and just to see to see whether it would open uh, open it up a little bit to to a, a wider audience. Um, and and time will tell on that. <laughs> so, my next question is concerning the content, the text mm. content, and the writing. Because I found there's a thick layer of satirical humour <laughs> splashed throughout the text of A Point with Fear. And uh, was this added by you, or was it in the original text, or a bit of both? Um, so the original text is is very it plays up the genre a lot. So Steve Jackson, you know, really had fun with it. Um, you know, you you meet some characters, you know, like you meet uh, Wayne Bruce, who is a yeah. multimillionaire, um, and Wayne Bruce obviously is based on another famous character. Yes, um, or the name is you know a, a, a play I'm on sure that. Sure, DC are happy about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have no comment on that. You have no comment. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, So, uh, so, but it's like you know, it's not. It's basically a send up of the genre. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's fear not citizen and square jawed and like. Yeah, yeah, it's tongues in its cheek, and you know, it's it's a bit of fun. So much so that you can barely make out what the characters are saying. Yeah. It's all. Yeah, it's it's good stuff Um, because there's some. I mean, I won't spoil it. I won't spoil anything. I don't want. But there was a Doctor Who reference. I leave it at that, which made me laugh quite a lot. There is. A, is there a Doctor Who reference? Yeah, there? there is. I wonder whether that's one we added or whether that was in there originally. We'll talk about it after the show. But okay, it's, that's yeah, good. it's yeah. it made me howl with laughter considering the recent new episode. Yeah, uh, of said show. Um, like you know, you get nice one. <laughs> it was just like come out of nowhere, but it's it's, it's a lovely. 
I just wanted to know where that will come from because it really adds to the experience. It could have been. I could have added that because I've, you know, both me and there's uh, one of our other team. His name is Ben Cosmina. Shout out to Ben Cosmina. Yes. Um, he's um, me and Ben basically added lots to the story, and we right. basically took Steve's humour and you know tried to match it and created some new stuff. Like there's a, like for example, at one point you. Um, make a phone call to a company called Tin Mando Games, um, which obviously wasn't in the original 1980s book because we didn't exist then. Um, And this Tin Mando Games, because the game book's still set in the 80s, um, so they're a games developer and they make games for the Commandant 64 and the VOC 20. You know, it's that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's like a little Easter egg you can find. And you can actually get to talk to Ben, not Ben Cosmeda, but Ben Britton, who's um, uh, the co-founder of Tin Mando Games and R. Super head coder. Um, okay. So, yeah, you get to speak to him very briefly. Although he's not in a good mood. <laughs> um, so we've added stuff like that in. And, we, you know, we've, we've, we've played around with it a little bit and, and um, you know, kept the humor. In fact, we've probably camped it up more, to be quite honest. Um, so, and I did warn Steve Jackson we'd do that. <laughs> so this next question is kind of two-pronged, really. First yeah. is it's definitely – I feel it's it's – Maybe capitalising or, uh, or benefiting, I should say, from the rise of the comic book films. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy being a good example, being mm. I think an excellent film. Yeah, uh, it's good fun. That film. It, it's a good fun film. Doesn't take itself seriously. Probably why it was so good. Uh, um, do you think Appointment Fear is benefit, benefiting from this? And also, hopefully, it will. But also. Um, you you've added these collectible card system within within it, which kind of uh, adds to that kind of collectability or that you know the need to actually have pictures of all the different superheroes you can have. Could you mm. did you think that's the first half of the first part of the question is really do you think your you know this is a reaction to the rise and rise of, of comic books recently? Um, yeah, so the first prong of that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, to be honest, it's been quite a coincidence, because like I said, we, we were sat on this book for a while, and, mm. and instead we, we kind of went and did Forest of Doom and House of Hell and a few of the others. Um, and I, like I said, I wasn't really ready to do this just yet, um, until, and then obviously we got some you know extra funding and, and was able to do our new game book engine, but... And I think, yeah, it's just, it's been a bit of a coincidence, and, you know, if it if it does help, then that's brilliant. It wasn't necessarily planned that way. No. Um, oh, yes, that's too, it's it's too cynical, yet. really, to, to think that you did sit there yeah. rubbing your hands to go, no, no, not yet, not yet, <laughs> now! Like, you know, I, I wish I was that clever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Chris, I, I wish... <laughs> I wish I had. I would be. I, I. You know. I'd be a very rich man. If very I, rich man. Yeah. If you were but rubbing so. your head, you'd, you'd have a lair with a death ray cat. The works. I would have it all. You'd have it all. Yes, and no one else would have exactly. anything. Um, and all the card collecting stuff because it yeah. reminded me of like you know we have they release comics the same edition comic. With different six, seven different covers, yes, that yeah. sort of thing. I'm not saying you're doing this with this, but uh, the, the point of fear. But uh, it, what, what? Tell us a little bit about that. What, how did that come about? So again, that was a happy accident. So what happened was, is we hired this guy called Clayton Barton, who's he's the artist that's designed all the heroes um, and all the villains. So all the any villain or hero artwork you see is done by him, and he's a super talented 
um, comic book artist. He's based in Melbourne. Um, he actually runs a, a, a blog called How to Draw Comics, which is really fantastic if anybody's into that sort of thing. Um, and he created this 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 artwork for the villains, and we were just like, this stuff is brilliant. And uh, I think it was um, it might have been Ben Cosmina actually um, who said these would work really well as trading cards. Um, so oh, that's my Twitter's going off. Yes. Um, oh gosh. There God. it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a busy day on the Twitters today. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> um, it? Sorry. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, so we had this lovely artwork, and we wanted to do more with it, like because it just—I mean, it obviously works brilliant in the in the story. But um, the little uh, avatars that um, pop up, you know, they they don't take up that much of the screen. So um, Ben mocked up a trading card, and it looked amazing. We were just like, "Oh, this is brilliant!" So we thought we'll have them as like achievements you find, and then we just then Ben Britton, other Ben. Um, was you know playing around with some server based stuff and and, and you know we would just it, it was as a, one of those natural game development moments where it all just fell into place and we were just like well why can't we let people trade these things you know and then all of a sudden it was like well that means we'll need gold foil versions and you know and it just became a bit more of a thing and it kind of suits the the genre as well you kind of it just it, it kind of all seems to work you've got this gorgeous artwork you've got the collectible trading card thing people that are into comic books generally like collecting things they do as i said comics. earlier they buy the yeah. same comic just with different covers yeah so it's it, it's it's a really good thing and i think um you know we're going to keep our eye on it um and if it's popular, you know, it could be uh, end up becoming a, a major feature for our future books. So, um, you know, especially if we do any uh, more comic booky kind of base stuff. So, yeah. Last question. Yes. I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because not for the first time, um, you're releasing this game on PC and Mac on, via Steam. Is that right? Yes. Is this the first game that Tim Man Games has released? On PC and Mac? No, it isn't. We we converted a few of our old Game Book Adventures stuff um, yeah. to PC, and they went on Desura. Um, they've been on there for quite a while, actually. Okay. Um, uh, and they do okay on there. Um, but we felt, again, because we were getting away from that reading a book on the screen kind of thing, which I think uh-huh. puts people off, and this was a bit more punchy. We thought this would work really well as a as a, a you know a desktop game, and um, we were building up a relationship with Steam anyway. Um, and so we approached them with it and said, "Look, we think this would work really well." And you know, and, and it went. You know, they were kind of keen. So um, yeah, so there we are. Then we're on Steam, and then we also had relationship with um, uh, the humble people as well. So we're on the humble store as well. So. So yeah, so it's it's rather exciting for us, and it's been really interesting actually because I've obviously spent the last week doing all the promotion and marketing side of things, and um, you of know, which this is part of. Well done, I- indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but my my leading question to that was: you, you considered going back to the fighting fantasy books and doing similar thing, or do you don't think it's appropriate based on what you just said about you know reading books on the screen? Well. It's funny, like, I personally wouldn't read a fighting fantasy book that way, but it's amazing how many people, how many emails and comments and forum posts I've had in the last week or so where people are going, are you going to bring the other fighting fantasy books to to Steam? Because they would, I would love to, I would buy them all over again. You know, people that have already got them on iOS or Android. I think I know why. I think 
I think it might be an underestimate how uh, how much uh, people have laptops. Uh, yeah, yeah, I true. Think it might be it. Yeah, it's a hybrid. You know, so yeah. a laptop is really genuinely a computer. Let's face it. it. I still don't believe tablets can quite replace laptops just yet. I may be shouted down by many people by me saying that, but uh, when it comes to like working, I still use my laptop. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my tablet is used for other things like sort of light browsing and that sort of stuff and playing well, games like yours as well, um, but not for working. Uh, uh, whereas when it comes to a laptop, it's a much more flexible machine. So I think this is where this is coming from. Mm. Yeah, well, I, that's good. That's good yeah. for us. So I think you know if if Appointment Fear does well on Steam, mm-hmm. um, then hey, why not? Why not? Indeed? I've I've already discussed it with um, Ian and Steve, and um, they they're kind of keen. So you know who who knows? But it's got to be it's got to obviously be worth our while to, to to pull that in place. But you know, and again, you know, maybe we could look at bringing up the um, old our old game books and have a trading card mechanics in as well. You know, yes. I'll, you know, just we could. There's lots of things we could do. It's very exciting. Very exciting. It's opened up lots of new doors for us. I think going on to Steam. Oh yeah, and uh, it's no mean feat, it really isn't. But uh, putting yourself above the parapet of the morass of thousands and thousands of games on that system is difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is. But we'll see how we do. We've had a good. You know, I've been looking at some of the comments. Uh, in the last day or so, and you know, some good good stuff on there. There's a few people that don't get it, but that's fair enough. There, you know, they, they won't have heard of game books before, and we'll teach them. They'll learn. They'll learn. <laughs> so, sign off then. Appointment with Fear is currently available on iOS. It's on iOS on the App Store. Yeah. Um, it's a universal um, app. We're also on Android on the mm-hmm. on Google Play and the Amazon App Store. Uh, I think it's uh, they're $2.99 or whatever the equivalent is in pounds for that Um, and they're also on the Humble Store and on the Humble Store you get PC, Mac, Linux and Android and and it's also on Steam and it's uh, $5.99 on those platforms and it's out now yeah? it is, it's out now, it came out today officially on all platforms and it's (gasps) scary and wonderful at the same time (laughs) <laughs> so I caught you just at a lovely moment of everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I was a bit anxious earlier on today, but yeah. <laughs> well, I've been having terrific fun with it, um, and uh, I'll probably play more of it on my flight to Seattle. Um, Yay! Um, yes, it'll be a good thing. Hopefully, someone around, uh, look over my shoulder and go, "What on earth is that?" And I'll explain all and bore them to death. Excellent. <laughs> I'll, I'll hire you a booth space if I want you. <laughs> Just done there somehow, for three days. Well, it's four days now, isn't it? Pax four Pine. days. Yeah. Um, yeah, somehow me with a media badge with the booth probably won't go down too well. Uh, <laughs> so on that note, Neil, thank you very much for, for sharing your experiences and your time with us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at 
chris at spong.com. Bye!